Please note, this episode contains discussion of sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. If this topic raises any issues for you, please refer to the contacts listed in the description. I thought, oh, okay, like that happened. Move on with life, I think, as many women would probably do. And it wasn't until Me Too, and it was just a really empowering moment where I realized, oh, actually, I was sexually assaulted. I think, if anything, it wasn't about me staying in that victim space. It was about, well, how was it that I got to the age of 30 and I didn't realize that I was actually sexually assaulted at 12? In today's episode, we talk to Keisha Booth, who's on a mission to educate our youth on respectful relationships and the importance of consent. She's also a single mum who works full time and has only recently discovered that she's worthy of help and how tricky it can be to ask for it. Keisha is open and passionate and this conversation ranges from trauma to youth to feminism and the importance of community. The Community Information Centre acknowledges and pays its respects to the Wulgarukabar and Bindal people, the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. I think the national discourse that's happened, especially around Brittany Higgins and then even the Me Too movement a couple of years ago, it's all kind of come to the forefront now. and Which is good. It hasn't just come and then gone. Yeah. It's yeah. constantly and consistently been pushing yeah, absolutely. hasn't it? Yeah. And I think that's the power of when women start telling their stories and then people start believing them and really sitting in that truth. It actually has this flow-on effect and it gives um, other women the permission to own their own stories, even if they're fucking horrible stories. But mm. it's the truth and it needs to be heard and people need to believe it. And, yeah, things need to change because it's – I don't think it's going to get any better if we just keep doing the same. You, I've spoken to you previously and I'm, you've really passionate about a program called Love Bites. Yes. That you have brought to Townsville and you're really trying to drive through the schools. Yeah. What is that about? Okay, so Love Bites is essentially a respectful relationship program um, from grade 7 to grade 12. Obviously, it's all age appropriate. So the content that you receive in grade 7 isn't the same that you would receive in grade 8. Um, and then there's a Love Bites respectful relationship and sexual violence program from grade 9 and upwards. Um, so there's Love Bites has always been in Townsville, but I saw a major gap in the sense of prevention to to domestic and family violence i don't know why but i've just very passionate about prevention work and a little bit angry at why government agencies don't invest in prevention so we're saying and it's just like it's same shit different day in the sense that we're seeing these things unfold in our community so domestic family violence and yet there's not enough investment in prevention and so I've been harping on and being very angry about this for quite a while and this program really kind of has that collective peer-to-peer conversation around well what do you constitute as a healthy relationship and it's just a really great program to get young people to start thinking like well what do I value and where do I learn about relationships and what can I do as a peer support model instead of victim shame 
shaming or slut shaming or whatever shaming there is um, around this topic. So it's a really great conversation and encompasses consent, bystanding, emotions and how to deal with your emotions. And it's just the type of things that I wish that I got growing up because I really fumbled in a dark room with my peers trying to figure out what relationships are and the things that I value. Like I never had that conversation. So I believe that we grow up in a society that is rape culture because we don't know any better. And I find it really concerning that if these conversations don't happen at schools for whatever reason, and then parents are assuming that these conversations are happening at school, where are young people having these conversations if they're not happening with the two ladder? So so that's where I feel that Love Bites plays a really great role. Do I think it's the best program out of all the other programs? Absolutely not. I think there's always room to improve. But I think for me, it's about the conversation. We need to start that conversation and the conversation might be happening with their peers, but the peers don't know any better. So if they're getting that education through porn, if they're getting that education through, I don't know. Which isn't realistic. Romantic, exactly. Um, romantic movies on Netflix or Stan or wherever which cuts out just all the intricacies of relationships like I think about sex scenes that you see in I don't know like pop culture tv shows like you don't see them talking about like the consent and where their boundaries are before they get into the heat of things it just cuts from a kiss to straight into bed and so it's that in between where there's just so much that doesn't get discussed that I think this program um, is able to just create that conversation because I personally believe it's not happening and it's not happening in a constructive collective manner. Can you share some of the conversations that have come out from delivering these programs in the schools? Yeah so I mean I I personally love delivering to grade nine and upwards because it talks about directly about sex and sexual violence and that's my forte. I love speaking about that really passionately so I have absolutely no shame around that. Um, I think one of the biggest things is that young people realize that sex isn't something that happens to them and this is specifically for young females that I deliver to um, and that for both either genders or if you're non-binary, I think people, young people realize, oh, it's actually supposed to be pleasurable. That's the first time I think they hear someone say, I'm not supposed to be afraid of it. I'm not supposed to not talk about it. Like it's actually should be fundamentally something that's respectful, pleasurable and consentful. And so for me to come into these particular sessions, obviously each facilitator has their own way of facilitating, but I can't help myself because I'm a sex educator as well. Um, when they hear us, when they hear the concept of actually this could, this is actually at the core of it supposed to be a great experience. I think a lot of them are like, oh, oh, okay. Like there's a bit of a light bulb moment for them. So it's, um, it's been interesting to look at some of their body language, like, because I'm all about reading body language and different energies in the group, especially as a group facilitator, and just seeing how some of them have these light bulb moments at different times. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize that I actually had the right to say no. Or I, I thought that I was supposed to be the one that um, was, was supposed to lead sex all the way. Like all these unwritten rules that a lot of young people have and even adults, we cannot discount adults, but... Um, for young people and they're just like, oh, I actually thought that this is what I was supposed to do because of my gender. Yeah. You are very passionate in this space. Yeah. Growing up, and you've mentioned too, growing up as a child, not having those conversations, 
did anything happen to you in your life that was pivotal moments for you where you felt like you'd missed out on that kind of these kind of informational conversations or you weren't equipped to to deal with situations yeah so i interestingly when the me too movement happened um i had realized that i had been sexually assaulted when i was younger but i never thought of it as sexual assault and yeah and it was because i just didn't know i thought oh okay like that happened move on with life i think as many women would probably do um and it wasn't until me too i kind of had to look at myself and go okay like think about this experience i'm like oh that actually wasn't i didn't consent that it happened to me but i never labeled it as sexual assault like i just thought oh it was just a bad experience but and it was just a really empowering moment where I realized, oh, actually, I was sexually assaulted and I didn't realize. Yeah. What did so, that feel like for you in that moment? Um, there was an element of re-traumatization, but I think, if anything, it wasn't about me um, staying in that victim space. It was about, well, why did I – how was it that I got to the age of 30 and I didn't realize that I had actually been sexually assaulted? That was more for me, the curious question. I was like, well, what is it? What is society teaching me? Or what is the lack of education that I didn't get for me to get to 30 years of life and realize, oh, now I realize that I was actually sexually assaulted at 12. So it was more for me like this gap of like trying to understand, well, where did, where was it missed? Like what and how can I ensure that someone doesn't get to 30 in the same situation, you know, in the yeah. same theme, and um, how do we prevent that from happening? And how do That's we empower? That's a prevention piece, isn't it? Yeah. How do we actually empower our young people to stand up for themselves and self advocate, especially if no one else is going to? And that prevention piece around for for the males to say that that's not okay because like they're at the same age or if they're not like around that age do they know what they're doing is wrong absolutely yeah absolutely and so i think like with love bites in the grade seven they talk a lot about gender and gender stereotypes because that plays a massive part in what happens in our community so if young people aren't unpacking well why do i feel that as a boy i need to do this this or this or that blue is a color for men it's not a color for girls like it's so heavily ingrained in us this whole gender idea about what we should and shouldn't be within this defined box um, that it actually limits us and it can actually become quite oppressive and it's those types of conversations that i really really wish that i had had i think that also the biggest thing is that Um, We still have parents and community that think that um, when you talk about the topic of sex, it's not appropriate for certain age groups or anyone that's under 12. So there's this kind of belief. But I think what uh, what we tend to do as adults as well is we tend to think about sex from an adult's perspective. We don't think about it from the cognitive uh, abilities of, say, a five-year-old to a seven-year-old to a nine-year-old. So if I was asked to go in and do a sex education course for, say, two-year-olds it would be it would be about talking about body parts and do you know what your body parts are called yeah because fundamentally it should be you every child should have the right to understand what they're to know their body parts the real names yeah so for me like my four-year-old daughter and my six-year-old son you know my daughter has been saying vulva and vagina since she was two like since she was able to word it out my children as well because you know like that's they should know their body and they yeah. should be confident in 
in saying that. What they have. Um, and obviously that there's another remedy of when they're confident with their body parts and if if there's any sexual abuse disclosures in Correct. the future, That's they right. would be able to actually name it explicitly for what it is. And it also just takes away the shame. So it's um it's trying to debunk some of those myths that parents have because they themselves have sexual shame about how they were brought up in some shape or form. There's a level where we pass on our shame onto our children and we don't even realise it because we probably never had those conversations to begin with. Oh, I, I, I remember not having those conversations when I was younger. Like, you know, you found it, I was given a book called Where Did I Come From? Yeah. And, and you read that at the time. And I remember as a child, I took in what my cognitively, mm. my brain could take on and absorb. Yeah. So you use the word sex to a, a seven-year-old yeah. and they take on what they can take, take on. Take on, agree. And then yep. no more. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's not, I don't know, people tend to think it's like, you know, you're sexualizing them and you're probably grooming them and they'll want to have sex when you once you start talking about it. I'm like, no, because good sex education informs them so that when they get to the point where they're ready, they're able to communicate that and express that confidently and with very true to their values and I think um, parents can really be blockers in the development of a young person's absolutely curiosity I kind of want to activate that conversation but also empower our young people because they're curious (laughs) you talk a lot about empowerment and you talk a lot about you know providing that information and that support you did your social work degree. Yep. How old were you when you did that? Um, so just out of uh, year 12. So I went straight into uni, did social work at JCU. And so I'm guessing you've had this in you all the time in terms of really being wanting to be an informant person who helps and gets in the community and does things. Yeah. You sound like you reflect a lot as well. Yeah, You're I constantly do. Constantly reflect. Oh, look at you go. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm I do. I do use reflect it all the time. a lot. It's, yeah, it's, and you can be a vice and a virtue at the same time. Yes. Um, yeah. So I obviously have very strong social justice principles, and I do really attribute that to growing up in a biracial family. Being a biracial woman, I've always seen two different perspectives in life from a very early age without realizing. So my ability, like, if someone talks to me about a social issue, I am always able to kind of see it in two different lights in different perspectives rather than being very narrow-minded about it so that's definitely gained given me a lot of perspective on various complex issues that we see and also because coming from um my mum being Papua New Guinea and my dad being Australian I actually my dad used to live overseas so we'd always go and see him in PNG on our school holidays and so you're coming from a western world going to a developed world on your school holidays and you're seeing young people who are the same age as you in poverty and living a totally different life to you and so I've I had that I've always had that kind of there where I'm like okay something's not right like I've just always known that there's there's something not okay in this world so social justice principles have always been at the core of who I am and what I do so I think there's um an element where that's passed on and the reason why I got into social work because I'm very passionate about human rights and getting into this space was interesting because um so I've always been really curious about sex but I Obviously, was also you talk a very, about it very openly, which is good, right? Well, yeah, it is. I, and I think, um, can you imagine you at a barbecue? Yeah, well, I know, but well, actually, yeah, that's probably another story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when I growing, I was actually out of my whole peer group in high school. I was a late sexual. I sexually debuted very late. 
So, and I don't use virginity for a very good reason because it's bullshit and it's a social construct and I hate it when people still use it because it's actually a derivative saying that you've lost something. When you actually haven't lost anything, you've gained something from an experience, right? So I sexually debuted very late. Um, It was actually after high school, but I was always the one that people came to to talk about sex. I'm like, I have no experience (laughs) in this. Um, But it was just because I was able to create a safe, humorous kind of space to talk about it. So I always had this thing where I could talk about it. But I didn't actually have a lot of experience in it. So it was quite interesting. But then when I went to Scotland in 2018, one of my friends from my student exchange program was getting married to his wife in Scotland. And it was the first time I was seeing pretty much all like my six of my favorite people from this exchange student program in one space. And I was going through like in the transition of slowly getting through a like going through the breakup process. But I hadn't realized that I was going through that breakup (laughs) process. But on hindsight, it was getting there. And um I was seeing these people where I was like reverting back to that 14 year old Keisha that was in Panama. And it was like me, it was almost like this homecoming for me going to this wedding and seeing these people who hadn't seen me since I was 14 and really in my element and loving life and also talking about sex and just the humor of it all. And when I was at the wedding, it must've been after the reception or something like that. And we were all having a few drinks. I was just like, (laughs) I was like, okay, this is like, I'm having a party here. Like this is so much fun. And talking about something that was very sex related in amongst my friends, but then also like the, the other guests and they were just like, oh my God, like you talk about this so freely. Like, are you a sex therapist or do you do blah, blah, blah? I'm like, I thought like everyone just talks about this. Like <laughs> they're like, we don't really talk about it like you do, but you make it really humorous and it's fun. And they were just like loving it, like as entertainment. And I kind of, after that wedding, had realized, oh my God, I think I need to get into this. Like, And I started looking at other sex educators on Instagram, but then I realized I really, to build that credibility, I wanted to study in it. So Curtin University uh, in Perth had a, like a master's of sexology degree, but I thought I'm not really interested in research, but I'm definitely interested in education. So I ended up um, enrolling in Curtin and ended up doing my grad cert in sexology at Curtin University. And there was a specific unit in that, which was sex education. So you had to do your own research, create your own workshop, and then actually facilitate and get marked on your own workshop. And I just knew in that in that moment, I'm like, I'm a natural born group facilitator. I love group conversations and I love talking about sex and relationships. Like, why not? So that's kind of how I got to the point that I did. And it's very much embedded in social justice principles as well. Because when you talk about, it's this ripple effect. So when you talk about sex sex and the things that can be quite shameful, and when you start unlayering that and unpacking that with a collective of people, it actually has this ripple effect to other social justice issues. So then you can start talking about privilege. You can start talking about racism. You can start talking about these things that are really hard topics, but it has this ripple effect to actually start addressing other things of oppression and other things that are really shameful and things that impact other minority groups and yeah, people in general. So um, I think that's what I loved about it was that I actually saw the the connection between sex education and social justice. So there's a lot of sex educators online, which is great, but I prefer to follow ones that have social justice at the core of their education um, because that's just who I align and value and yeah. That's cool. So um, your parents. Yes. How do they go now <laughs> having conversations with you? Yes. 
Um, it's actually really interesting because my mum's still, uh, she's religious and she has a lot of shame and taboo around these types of topics. I was going to say, But we, yeah. we're quite humorous as well about it. So I don't really care, to be honest. How does your mum go? <laughs> it is what it is. Um, yeah. So she's like, I don't, you know, there's just certain people that you talk to these things about and certain people that you don't like. So I, you know, I can only talk about surface level things with her, which is fine. Um, but she, you know, she never says stop being you and she just knows that she can't change that because I'm very like <laughs> stubborn as fuck. Oh, like, so, um, yeah, but with my dad, it's been really interesting because he's someone that I have quite analytical conversations with. And so, you know, we have jokes about like porn and the content, but then, you know, like only recently started talking about masturbation, like just generally. You know, and that was actually really cool. It was really interesting. But I have very awesome, like I have awesome analytical conversations with him about politics, science, social justice, male privilege and white male privilege because he is a white male. Um, and that's been really cool hearing his perspective on it. But also what I love about it is that he gives me the space to talk about it and to rage about these certain things and not make me feel inadequate or make it about him. And so it's just been really awesome for someone who's like, just about to turn 70 in the next two years. And I don't know. It's just and he's like, still happy to have those. He's still happy to have those conversations. conversations, but then also happy to challenge me as well, which is cool. Cause you need that. Yeah, and absolutely. So yeah, there's some things I talk to my mom about some things I don't same with, I, you know, I'd say the same with my dad, but it's um been nice to see that evolution as well. So you're, you look after the youth council here in Townsville. Yes. What does that do in the community? Um, so it's a youth advisory group uh, for young people from 12 to 25 years old. And the whole remit around it is young people uh, pretty much working with council to either inform, to consult, engage about youth perspectives and issues. Um, working with young people, specifically in youth council, is just, I don't know, it just lit lit a fire in me and made me realize how young people are still getting devalued in their perspectives and their voices. But when you see people like Greta Thunberg or Chanel Contos, who's started that Instagram story about her experience of sexual assault from private boys schools down in Sydney, and now she's meeting um, Scott Morrison to talk about respectful relationship programs. You know, there's a lot of power in a youth voice and it just has to be given a platform and a space to be able to provide that. And so I think that's where Youth Council plays a really cool role. And I'm really fortunate to learn from these young people as much as I learned, I teach them. I think it's a two-way working relationship. And every time I leave like a meeting or a creative session, I just learn so much about myself, but it, they also unleash this, like, they also make me feel young. <laughs> It's not about and, me, and but <laughs> and cool and rad. <laughs> I'm just thinking about this meme girl. This mean girl meme. Um, have you seen Mean Girls? Yes. Who um, hasn't? So Amy Poehler, Regina George, <laughs> mum. That's that's played by Amy Poehler, and she like walks in. She's like, "You girls make me feel so young," and I literally laugh about it because every time I leave a youth council meeting, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> Like, I'm like, I don't understand anything about young people anymore, but I swear you just like revive me because you give me hope and you also give me energy that there is amazing things to be done out there. I don't know if it's just the the positive in me or I, I just see so much potential in young people. 
even when they don't see it. And I think that derives from my own experience of when I was in high school and just having like the shittest self-esteem and not thinking my voice like mattered and like caring more about what guys thought about me rather than what I thought about myself because that's social conditioning. And I, yeah, just realized actually I could have been a really fucking great leader, but I just didn't have the support. I didn't have, yeah, yeah. I just didn't have it in me to think that I was. So I feel like I'm not, having a redemption now in yeah, my 30s. <laughs> and it's not about support coming from one space either or one person yeah. as well. It's a wraparound effect, totally. isn't it, of all different peoples in your totally. corner to make sure that that can help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, it's really cool. And I think I'm also doing a bit of a side hustle and thinking about ways. But I would really love to see um, young people inform just institutions. Just I really would love to see sex education where it's driven by young people with professionals and health professionals and this beautiful synergy between young people saying, hey, this is what I'm seeing in my community or this is what I experience." Do you have content, resources, and knowledge to better equip my community to say this is what, I don't know, affirmative consent is or this is what effective bystanding is or this is what when no means no, no means no. I just want to see more young people activating that conversation because for me, I believe – Government is never going to talk about pleasure. They're never going to talk about what pleasurable experiences look like. And so and it's an amazing quote. I actually read in an article um, from this Canadian-based researcher. And he said, parents want to protect their children or young people um, from rape, sexual assaults, all the negative stuff. But young people want to learn how to have a relationship and how to have sex. And I just was like, absolutely. They actually want to know, well, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? Like, I want to know that. So we just don't have that. And I don't expect the government agencies to do that. So a bit of my side hustle is about, well, how do we make this? How do we go above the forefront? Just do it. Well, exactly. Um, so I don't want to give too much away because it's still very much in concept and I don't want anyone to steal my idea. No, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, it's just um, we're missing this gap where young people are really keen to know, but we're, re- we're still facilitating the conversation from an adult risk-averse perspective. Mm. And so there's just this gap and we're not dealing with it. So that's kind of... So you yeah. are, you're going to. Yes, I am going to. And I had this belief that I had to, in order to succeed in something, I had to do it on my own to prove a point. And I think that's an inner child wound that I probably still need to unpack. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll get to that later in Therapy 101. And I kind of got to this point after going through wisdom teeth pain for five weeks and pain does quite miraculous things to you. And I realized, you know what, Keisha, you can't do it alone. You're a single mother with two children and you cannot do it alone. And And you need to accept that it's fucking hard sometimes. And you need to get over whatever bullshit you have because this this big vision that you want to revolutionize sex education, it requires a community of people and it requires a community of people that have skills that you don't have. And that's all what community is, is people bringing in their highest value contribution to a common cause. And so it's like community development 101, right? And yeah, I just, it kind of just all clicked, you know, like you conceptually can understand it and you realize, yeah, you need a community, but it's not until you feel deserving and worthy of it. Once you unpack why you thought that you weren't worthy of actually asking for help and gifting other people, like help asking for help is really tricky. tricky. And you sound like a very stubborn woman Mm -hmm. and um, which is, 
which is a gift, which are really good to have. Because in times yep. when you need to be stubborn, you, yep. it's good to have, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in times when you need to open that up, totally, <laughs> that's very hard. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally understand why women are in isolated positions. And I get yeah, that. Yeah. Because especially if you're in a survival mode of some sort. Yep. You don't ask for help because you just think it's too much of a burden. But fuck, when you get the right people in your community, it's not a burden and you're actually gifting them. And we just have this beautiful reciprocation of like a transaction where it's like, okay, so you gifted me. I'll gift you in some way that's appropriate for you. And I, I find that because I'm very interested in like the, the gender aspects of, of that conversation. And I actually caught up with somebody um, a couple of weeks ago and it was very, very interesting about using this creative studio. So what they found was that when something wasn't working in this studio, he would say he would find that women predominantly would say, oh, it's, I've done something wrong. This I haven't done something right. But then what he would find was that when men would come into the studio and things weren't working, they'll go, oh, it's not working. <laughs> the product's not working. Yep, the end. And I was just like mind blown. Like, And it's not that I didn't know this, but it's just so heavily embedded in this narrative for women that we really take things personal. And so for asking for help, going back to the original conversation around help, we personalize it as like we we've done something wrong. We owe you something. It's this constant default of we own, we're owning you something because we're not worthy of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, where do we learn that shit from? Exactly where society. And we I mean, any people, it, absolutely. And I mean, I'm definitely a feminist without a doubt. Like I would not not be in this space if not. But um, yeah, I think there's just yeah, language has a massive like. If you don't, like some people don't agree, but we live in a patriarchal society. I believe that through and through. And, you know, language has a massive thing. So if men are at the center of everything growing up, you just put the male um, narrative, the male dialogue, you put everything before your own needs. And so I think transitioning, especially into motherhood, realizing that, um, yeah, you're not a martyr and um, it's actually really fucking hard. And yeah. Keisha Booth, you're really cool. Oh, thank you. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. And um, your passion. Watch this face. Absolutely. You're, um, I love how you're very outspoken, so that's good. We need people like that. Yeah, thank you. Brave is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.